How's it going, everybody? We're here with the 49th episode of Fear Frequency, and for our new listeners, it's a weekly horror podcast where we talk about the latest horror news and review a movie or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Fazard. And if you're a new listener, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review over on iTunes. And this week it's like super critical because this has been an ongoing thing for a couple weeks, but these guys completely stole our name, which is a stupid issue in itself. But they refused to answer when we politely asked them, hey, uh, just so you know, we have this name, we own it, we own everything related to it, you stole it. Just so you know, uh, you should probably change it because why would you want to start a podcast and try and build a listener base when we're always gonna rank higher than you because we have more listeners and we have more episodes and we've been doing it for a year longer than you. But they don't wanna answer and they uh, review bombed us with one star reviews. So if everyone could help offset that by um, giving us some five star reviews and letting us know how much you like the show, that would be great. And I'm not telling you to go give The Fear Frequency on iTunes a one-star review and a bad review, letting them know they stole our name, but I'm telling you to go over to The Fear Frequency on iTunes and give them a one-star review and let them know they stole our name. Uh, so that's all I really have to say on that one, but you might have just heard a laugh, and the reason that the, my audio quality might be a little bit worse than usual is because our friend Graham Bolin is here. How's it going, Graham? Hey, um, it's great. I'm just really, I'm really glad to be here. And I'm I'm just a really big George Friesard fan, so it's good to. <laughs> I just I'm really honored. So Graham, things, guys, Graham and I, Graham and I write shorts to, or Graham writes them, and I direct them and edit them, and sometimes Graham directs them. But we've worked on a bunch of stuff together, and Graham writes movies, uh, and he's in a bunch of competitions right now. But he came to Telluride with us. This is the special Telluride Horror Show episode, so we thought it'd be fun to have him on to talk about the movies. But George. Do we have any emails or positive reviews this week? Uh, yeah, we actually do have one uh, positive email. And if you ever want to reach out to us, either through iTunes, um, obviously just a review on the show. But if you want to send us an email, our email is fearfrequencypodcast yeah, at gmail.com. <laughs> so uh, this review is from Bailey Cole. It says, hi, my name is Bailey. I'm a newer listener. I only started listening... Uh, after the guys on Because Video Games Podcast had Jimmy on their podcast. But I have to say, I love the show and listen to it every week on Spotify. I can't wait for Halloween to come out. So thank you, Bailey. Yeah, thanks, Bailey. I had a lot of fun hanging out with Jake and Andrew. They are really nice to have me on their show. And we are excited for Halloween as well. It comes out this week, which is sweet. Um, but this week, we're coming at you live from Telluride Horror Show in Telluride, Colorado. And we're going to do a shorter news segment, and then we're going to talk about all the movies we saw in kind of like a little rapid-fire mode. So it should be a lot of fun. We saw a lot of movies. But before we get into that, I have an incoming transmission from Dr. Loomis, which means we have a Halloween alert. Uh, so the big news this week is that the movie is finally coming out. Yeah. <laughs> finally. <laughs> it's, it's out this Friday, October 19th. It has uh, 85% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. The premiere is actually going on right now, but... How do you feel about this, George, that the movie's coming out that we've talked about every week since, like, January? <laughs> no, uh, I'm excited that it's finally getting to see, you know, the light of day for everybody. I'm actually seeing it tomorrow night again uh, at 8 o'clock, so I'm excited to go for my round two. I want to see it again tomorrow, but it'll probably end up being Friday, just because I have a lot of video stuff going on. I might be able to swing it tomorrow, but I'm going to shoot my spoiler review for it tonight. And then I have the Rob Zombie review ready to go up tomorrow, which you've seen. 
and said nice things about. So uh, <laughs> I'm excited it's finally out. Graham, are you going to go see it this weekend? I'm hoping to see it on Friday, but if not then, then yeah, definitely this weekend. Um, I think I'm supposed to go to Not Scary Farm on Saturday. Ooh. Uh, I meant to actually invite you to that. Oh, but, maybe uh, I'll come. So if I'm, if I'm not doing that, then I'll, I'll be there. Oh, cool. So I'm really excited to see it again. It's a great movie. Um, but also, the next story we have here is that there's a browser game you can play that's kind of like Paperboy, where you're Laurie trying to escape Michael. And it's kind of fun. It's just basically see how long you can survive against Michael as Laurie. And the top record I've seen from people is like three minutes. I haven't played it too extensively, but it's like a fun little browser game that probably should be on phones. But hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool as an app just to kind of test it out and play around a bit, especially if they charge like a buck for it. I think with yeah. the hype of this movie, you could make a tidy sum on even a just okay like phone game related to this movie. But um, yeah, I haven't really played it too too much. I'm not a big uh, browser game fan, but uh, it's a cool idea, and it seems that people are having fun with it. So more power yeah, to them. Yeah, I played a little bit of it. I'm gonna play some more. I just made it to a minute and two seconds. Were you just playing while we were yeah. talking? That's so funny. It's, it's pretty good. I, it's, it's, pretty, it's not bad. So Graham's just going to be silent the rest of the episode because he's going to get addicted to the Halloween game. <laughs> but the big news we have this week on Halloween, even bigger than it coming out, I guess, is that... So I didn't know this, but they were originally going to retcon the ending of the original movie, and I thought it was just going to be a little bit just to see how Michael got apprehended, but it actually turns out that they were going to change the ending completely and have Loomis die on screen. So Bloody Disgusting posted like a weird script version of this. I don't know where they got it, but basically at the end of the original Halloween, uh, Michael was going to grab Loomis by the throat and throw him to the wall and he was going to drop the gun on the floor and then uh, Michael was going to kill him. And then Lori was going to be the one who shoots Michael and then she was going to like walk forward over the balcony and Michael was still going to be there and she would be out of bullets and then Michael would get apprehended by the cops. So I'm really glad that they didn't do this because <laughs> their whole thing was like the mythology was too complicated. We have to get rid of Halloween too. And then they're going to change the entire ending of the first movie completely. Like that seems a little hypocritical. Yeah. I mean, especially with Loomis. Like, you wouldn't want to wreck the legacy of Loomis, who's possibly the best character in the whole franchise. Like, right. you definitely want to keep that um, around, and they do reference it a little bit in the movie, but um, I don't know. I think it's cooler the way that they did it now, where you just pick it up 40 years 40 later years and later. just say, here it is, We're- and kind of let it stand for itself. Yeah, it works just fine, and uh, that would just be dumb to kill Loomis, and they probably would have used the same voice that they use in the new movie, which I don't (laughs) think sounds anything like him, so yeah, I think it worked out for the best. I heard that John Carpenter actually convinced David Gordon Green not to do that. I think that's a smart idea. I don't know who it came from, but whoever did, I I appreciate their work. Yeah. Um, Graham, what do you think about changing the ending of the original Halloween? Oh, yeah. I think they totally... No. I don't think you can touch it. Um, And you don't want to mess with Loomis. I agree. Yeah. You haven't heard the new sound alike, but uh, it's a rough. (laughs) (laughs) Do they know... Do you know who... Like, who... They just hired some voice actor? It was a guy on set. They're like, oh, this guy sounds exactly... It was like a production person, like a set designer or something. I don't know if that's accurate, but it was like a very, like, random person from set. 
And they were like, oh my God, this guy sounds exactly like Dr. Loomis. Like, we got to have him in the movie. And he sounds <laughs> nothing like Dr. Loomis. It's like the prop guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, it was like that obscure of a position working on the movie. Not to discredit this guy's actual job, but like, it was just like they, they didn't find a voice actor. They found like an employee of the movie. That's very weird. And they had, they had like an they art just... director who looked exactly like Loomis that they were going to have play him. They, they didn't like cast an actor. It was like an art director that they were going to have play him. That's so weird. Uh, so... <laughs> I don't understand why that would ever be preferred. Yes, <laughs> like, it wasn't. Professional. <laughs> so that was weird. But that's it for the Halloween uh, update this week. So next week we'll talk about box office scores and what everyone thinks. And if you want to let us know what you think of Halloween, let us know at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. And we will definitely talk about it on the show because, like, you guys have heard us talk about it for uh, 10 months now. <laughs> so we want to give you guys a chance to talk about it. So definitely email us and let us know what you think of the movie, or you can find us on Twitter at Fear Frequency. But anyways, getting into the news here. Uh, so Annabelle 3, we reported on this a couple weeks ago. Gary Doberman is writing and directing it, and it's going to take place a little after the first Conjuring, it looks like. And basically, it's once Annabelle is in the Warren's house, uh, their daughter and the babysitter are going to have to face off against Annabelle. And basically, it's being described as a night in the museum, but with Annabelle. And it turns out that both Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are signed on as supporting roles, which, like, that's good, because if they weren't, it would be kind of alarming. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't... I think if they didn't have them come back, they would have to write them out of the movie somehow, which would seem, at the very least, irresponsible on the Warrens' part, to just Because their daughter's 10 years old. (laughs) Right, to be like, bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if this is like I didn't, I tweeted about this. It's like I don't understand why this was news. Like, was there ever any doubt that they weren't gonna come back for this, to, you know, cameo in this at all? But hey, I mean, I, I think it'd be weirder if the nun didn't make so much money. But there's no doubt in anyone's mind that the Conjuring franchise is gonna keep going forever now. So I just thought that was funny. Yeah, um, I'm not in love with that description, the night at the museum, but with the Warrens, like haunted room i don't think that sounds that good (laughs) we've seen their house in movies too like we've seen their house in the conjuring and the conjuring too so and we've seen it a lot it's not going to be like how much new can you really do with it you know well i was actually it's weird i was watching the conjuring last night and like at the very end you know he puts the the little tin toy down yeah it's like it's just like a goodwill it's just a bunch of shelves full of like old wacky crap that like haphazardly just thrown there. Yeah. So a good one. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's like hanging out in like an estate sale <laughs> for like an hour and a half. Oh, it smells so dusty. <laughs> it's cool though that uh, that Gary Doberman is directing something. Yeah, we'll see how that goes since he did such a great job writing the nun. <laughs> well, I think I think the problem is that they stretch him too thin. He's writing so much stuff. He's Dude, writing he, and directing this. He's writing it too. He's writing The Conjuring Three. He's doing Swamp I, Thing. Yeah, and The Curse of La Llorona. I think he wrote that too. And like, like how much could, could you write that many scripts? <laughs> Not responsibly, probably. <laughs> but yeah, he makes like three movies a year. But he started. I think I've told you this, but he started writing like sci-fi movies. Oh so yeah, like, yeah. Many years ago, I I I found out about him because I watched a movie called Blood Monkey <laughs> and like looked it up, and uh, 
It it has a uh, F Murray Abraham in it. Whoa, okay. It's not it's not good, but um, if you ever want to see his Gary track Doberman's, record, like is solid. It's not bad. He doesn't have a bad track record. It's just not great when he's writing too much shit because it worked out the first it because. Well, Graham, you don't really like that movie, but this reason that script worked out is because he was heavily revising Corey Fukunaga's script. But this time on it too, he's writing the entire thing from scratch. Oh, so this I didn't realize that. There, I don't think you can really put any stock in this being a good script. So, who knows? But <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see how he directs. I'm really curious about that. Um, so this week we have a Friday the Thirteenth alert, which I guess is a thing now. There's another legal update. So where we left off last time. Victor Miller came out on top in the lawsuit, and he was basically waiting for... We were waiting for an appeal from Sean Miller and Horror Inc. But it looks like that appeal is not going to happen uh, because Sean Cunningham would have to do it by Halloween, October 31st. Uh, and he hasn't, and it's October 17th. So like, it looks like he's not going to appeal this lawsuit, which means they made a deal, which is good, because that means we'll get more Friday the 13th. <laughs> And just so everyone knows, Larry Zerner, who I think played Shelly in one of the Friday the 13th movies, uh, he's the lawyer who's tweeting about all this shit. (laughs) It's just such a messy situation with these splitting everything up down the middle and only having access to specific names or looks of the character. It's just, it's such a messy lawsuit that, like, there's no way anything's going to ever get done unless they, they do come together and let the, you know, both sides use both you know, the entire property. So this is really just both right. them holding out for money at this point for whatever future projects they have in store. Which is awesome. But an extension <laughs> of this is that the game, they put out a new FAQ that's less definitive than, like, no, no, no. It's like, right now, we can't do DLC. Right now, we can't finish the Grendel map and Uber Jason. Like, right? It's it's all very worded like that. And Gun did switch developers. Uh from Ilphonic to a more high-profile developer who actually knows what they're doing. Uh, so hopefully some updates can come out of that, too, with the game. Because the game, I actually went back and tried it out, and now that it's in Unreal 4, it actually runs pretty well in comparison to how it used to run. So it would be cool if they could bring this game back in some way with this lawsuit uh, clearing up, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it is a cool concept. Like we said before, they obviously put a lot of time into making... Like, Camp Castle, like, look good. Having the Jasons all look unique and have special powers and all that. And I mean, it, it's obviously a, a cool game to just have, you know, a horror game based on one of the most beloved horror franchises. So it sucks that it's in such development hell because of this insane lawsuit. So hopefully they can figure it all out. Yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to see. The thing I really want is a movie. I think that's, like, ripe to come back. Mm-hmm. And we know Big Rydog Turek wants to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the terror train himself. <laughs> so, yeah, we just want to give you that legal update. And then the, the next and last story we have this week is a weird one. So George and I have mentioned a couple times in the show that growing up, we really liked the Wrong Turn franchise. <laughs> which, like, I think the first one was in theaters. The second, And then after that, it was all direct-to-DVD. And apparently, there's a Wrong Turn remake coming out. And the guy directed the original and basically owns the entire franchise re- rewrote this remake and mike p nelson is directing it 
and the updated version has a timely and topical meditation on society and its issues, according to Bloody Disgusting. Ooh. A cross-country hiking expedition puts a group of friends in the land of an inclusive society, where they soon discover they are under a different rule of law and may not be the victims they thought they were. This sounds nothing like Wrong Turn. So wait, this is a remake of the first one. This is not like Wrong Turn right. 8. Right, or, Okay. Or 11 or whatever they're on. <laughs> okay. It doesn't sound like Wrong Turn. Like, no, what's an inclusive society? Like, is it going to be like Wanderlust mean... meets fucking like Friday the Thirteenth? I don't get it. Like, are they going to find a tribe of the like three finger people to come after them, or like what's going on with that? I have no, I don't really get the plot from that description, considering yeah. that all the wrong turn movies have basically just been this group of inbred mutants attacks teenagers or whoever wanders through their town so this doesn't sound <laughs> very much in the vein of uh the other movies maybe that's why they're trying to rebrand it or remake it but yeah i don't know it maybe now weird. they're maybe now they're hot mutants and it's a sex cult <laughs> yeah like wanderlust meets the uh, the village from m night Shyamalan. yeah <laughs> what do you think of that george <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound great not gonna lie <laughs> My best wrong turn memory is actually from three months ago when we were in the Mickey Mouse penthouse uh, oh, drink, yeah. drinking, sh- doing shots of Jack Daniels watching <laughs> wrong turn two. Is well, that, the one that was that, mostly uh, because we had that amazing view of the, of the park yeah. and that insane suite. But um, yeah, that, I mean, those movies are always fun to throw on. I think those are like... The epitome of a fun summer horror movie where you can just throw them on yeah. and kill fodder and you can talk over it the whole time. I, I like, too, because it's shot in 60 frames per second for no reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is weird. They have, like, a really weird, like, it, has, it gives it this really weird visual style that you don't expect. Or like. Or like. <laughs> it doesn't work. Is that work. the one that was directed by your, he was, that was directed by your guy Joe Lynch, right? Yeah, Joe Lynch and then Henry Rollins is in it. Oh, yeah. I remember Joe Lynch was telling that story where he was like, yeah, I had that poster up in my office. And somebody came in and he was like, wow, you're like really into Wrong Turn 2. <laughs> yeah, it's because he was talking about how he worked at like Comcast or something. Yeah. And he had all his posters from his movies up. Yeah, and he was like, I directed that. <laughs> but the guy just thought he was like a really big fan. <laughs> be a weird one. Like, weird. I only like the second one of the super obscure franchise. Like, I the <laughs> We were talking to him. I talked to him on the phone like a year ago after Mayhem came out. And he was very candid about the fact that he fucking hated having to work, like, jobs between his movies. <laughs> he's like, I worked at, like, Comcast, like, all these other weird places. He was pretty cool, though. I forget what episode that was, but if you're a newer listener, uh, you, you want to hear a really cool interview with Joe Lynch, go check that out. Um, I, didn't, I didn't put this next news story on here, but, like, I just remembered. Shudder picked up Mandy today. Really? Yeah, they got exclusivity on streaming on that. Which I haven't seen, and I don't think George has seen it yet either, but Grant... No, I haven't got a chance to get <laughs> to do it with all this insane I know that's like people really like it, and I'm I want to watch it. super hard for it. Sorry, that's not the so best So is that a good... Yeah, that's fine. That's but, fine. Uh, no, that, it's really, really, really good. Is that a good get for Shudder? Or, like, do you think this is a movie that could have ended up on Prime or Netflix easily, and, like, Shudder is flexing by getting it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I good. think... Um, because I actually, it's funny. I watched his first movie recently, and I think that that was on Prime. What's his name? Like, Pat Pam? 
Uh, I'll look it up. Real Something quick. Cosmatos. Um, pa- Panos Cosmatos, I think. Yeah. Well, we need to watch Mandy, dude. George. Yeah. It's I know. super metal. It's on my list, so and I have it um, ready to watch. I just haven't gotten around to it with all this travel we've been doing, but. Oh uh, yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It seems like Shutter. Even if this last festival is any indication, has been picking up a lot of these kinds of movies where they had both Terrified and uh, Witch in the Window. Yeah, um, which, which so, we'll talk about later. Yeah, which we're talking about in a bit, but it seems like they are not shy about just buying a movie that they think would be good on the streaming service. They must and, have got money after the Joe Bob thing. Like, it, it, the timing is too good. Like, I mean, they, they had some whack shit like they had some good stuff you know it would be in spurts but then right after the last drive-in it feels like it's just been up to 11 yeah i mean they got all that john carpenter stuff they got um alfred hitchcock they got i mean they've been really really upping their game lately with their acquisitions on their service and really trying to push it as a legitimate like you should pay five dollars a month for it which is still a steal because there's insane insane amount of great movies on there yeah they and netflix has been slacking on horror until this month like they just posted mm-hmm. the house on haunted hill which is apparently good they also have uh apostle with dan stevens and they have chilling adventures of sabrina next week but other than that they've been slacking hardcore and shutter's been killing it yeah i mean i'm happy to see shutter pick up movies like that that have such great buzz that are seem kind of high profile so i mean i'm happy about it it's cool i like shutter a lot but yeah, that's all the news we have for you this week, guys. There was more stuff we didn't get to, but we wanted to make sure we had enough time to talk about all the movies we saw. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our review, starting out with Anna and the Apocalypse. All right, we're back from our quick break. And so this this weekend, Graham, George, and I went to Telluride, Colorado for the Telluride Horror Show. We were also with our friend David, but he's not into horror and he's not here, so he's not going <laughs> to talk about him. Uh, so the trek to Den- the trek from Denver to Telluride was kind of insane. Like we flew into Denver, uh, went to meet our friend in Boulder, and then started driving up to Telluride from Boulder at 5 a.m. on Friday morning. <laughs> And it's a six and a half hour drive, but we made it about eight hours because we stopped a couple times, went to like a hot spring and everything. And we didn't, we, George and I have been talking about this festival since the beginning of the year and we didn't know what to expect, but safe to say it was pretty fucking good. Yeah. I mean, just as a pure location for a festival, it's amazing. It's incredibly breathtakingly beautiful. Um, you get to see all these insane mountains all the way around you. It's this little town that feels like it hasn't aged in 50 years and like it's just a really cool place to have a festival let alone a horror festival and it's i don't know i i thought it was a a cool little town i liked it a lot yeah so one of the things i thought was weird going in is that they didn't have a lot of like new movies that hadn't premiered anywhere else but as time went on i realized it's because they just curate really well like it's not like a crapshoot where if you go to i guess fantastic fest or tiff you don't really know what you're about to see. I You don't know what's great and what isn't. But here, they got movies that played other places, but they got the best movies that played other places. So it was actually, it worked out because I don't, there wasn't really a bad movie we saw. Like there was some we didn't like, which we'll get into in a minute, but we didn't really necessarily see a bad movie, which was awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It seemed like the schedule was also super packed. Nothing ever felt like there wasn't time for us to go see a movie. Like, basically, we would just be like, all right, we have, like, an hour between these two shows. Let's see if we can get some pizza in between. Like, we were always going from one place to another, it seemed, while we were there. Yeah, we kept it pretty busy. But the first movie we saw, Friday night, after none of us really sleeping, was Anna and the Apocalypse, which is directed by John McPhail, and it's written by Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry. And the weird thing about this is that one of the writers actually died while he was writing this movie, and then his friend picked it back up and finished it and got it made. And George and I actually have been talking about this movie for over a year now because it premiered at a festival last year, and we were trying to get it, but it got bought by the before we could get it by Orion. So it basically started the whole press cycle over, and it's finally coming out uh, at the end of November, I think, or at the beginning of November. But how would you describe this one, George, in, in one sentence? Oh, man, in one sentence. It's <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the way I think it was basically pitched to us was it's a musical zombie movie. that It's like high school musical with zombies. Right. In the winter, because it's also a Christmas movie. And it takes place in Scotland, I think. Something like that. Somewhere where it's winter. And yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's, like, I guess the best way to describe it. It is a lot going on. It's basically a high school uh, gets attacked by uh, this infection of zombies, and the people inside need to fight it off. But there's also... Uh, musical element to it and it takes place in Christmas so that's kind of all you need to know going in yeah so I guess the first thing here I I think the best aspect of this movie is the music yeah I agree it was it was pretty good pretty solid music choices and it was all original stuff written for the movie and a lot of it was pretty catchy like when I left the theater I was like you know humming it so it was pretty high quality music and the acting and singing and dancing and stuff was all really good. Uh, the high school, it's definitely more high school musical than Shaun of the Dead, yeah. which is like, I feel like that's what it wanted to be, but I don't know. Like more tongue in cheek and kind of for a younger audience, I guess, in a way like, um, yeah, it's, it has a coming of age feel. Yeah. It, like I wouldn't really see it i don't mean this is an insult but I, I don't think it'd be out of place on like a free form or whatever like if they played this in december oh no it would totally work on free form yeah i would say it's like a i mean i don't want to call it a kids movie but it's for a younger audience i think right sure. it's it's also it's well made like it was well shot the effects were pretty good i think the problem that i had with it is that the story is pretty vapid which i guess you could kind of expect with a musical <laughs> set on christmas that involves zombies like it's a, a lot of played out <laughs> things uh, but it does manage to feel original. I just think the story doesn't really know what it's trying to say. And by the time it kind of like gets its message and tries to preach it to you, it hasn't really earned it. And you don't really know why it has that message. Like, <laughs> I think like three quarters of the movie, it's like trying to say, stay off your phone because it's taking over your life and technology is stopping you from talking to real people. And I like that's a solid message, I guess. But like it didn't really tie into the movie all that well, I don't think. Yeah, there's like a whole song about that, but then they kind of <laughs> didn't, it was weird. And the zombies felt like an afterthought to me, kind of. Yeah. Like there are scenes where they stop to have emotional conversations or to stand there and sing a song and, and all the zombie action just kind of stops. Right. Um, and it's like, there's no, not to be that guy, you know, I understand that it's not like, you know, Dawn of the Dead. It's not 20, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, uh. 
I get that, but like, there's no credible threat to them really until they need somebody to die so that a kid can have feelings. Right. And <laughs> about it, they kind of haphazardly pick and choose who they're going to kill off. Yeah. Very predictable. You know who's going to live and who's going to die. Actually, I was surprised going. by a couple yeah, of them. I was surprised by like who the final cast was. Yeah. I wasn't. I don't know why. It felt it <laughs> it had a weirdly similar plot to Dead Rising 4. <laughs> like very similar beats. So I don't know if it's because my brain just knew what to expect, but when it, there was one character who died and I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was so telegraphed his death scene that I was like, okay, cool. But, I w- yeah, you're kind of right. There, There is one guy, one person, I guess guy, who lives at the end that I was like, huh, that's a, that's a weird choice. I don't know why they made him live because he has no redeeming moment. No. At no. all. You did that was kind of, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he comes, he's, like, comes in super hot. <laughs> and then he's a huge asshole when he's encountered again, like, halfway through the movie. And then at the end, he's, like... Only there out of circumstance, really? Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, because yeah. people know who he is. But he just, like, his entrance is... He's, like, the biggest... <laughs> the um, but he's funny. He's good. The actor's good. Yeah, he has a very cliche plot line. Uh, there, I kind of got in an argument with someone at a bar where they were adamant that this movie does pay multiple homages to Shaun of the Dead. But I saw uh, quantifiably zero... References to Shaun of the Dead? The only thing I picked up on, I don't know if you saw anything, George, but the only thing I picked up on was them hitting, there's a scene where they're all like circling around a zombie hitting him with pool cues. Oh. Yeah, which is okay. a scene straight from Shaun of the Dead, but. Did that happen? Yeah. What? When? <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's in the bowling alley. Oh, It's okay. like very quick. It's a very quick little thing. Was it as choreographed? No, okay. it was the same thing, but not as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know, because it very, very, very clearly was ripping off Shaun of the Dead for the zombie aspect of it. Uh, but there, there's a Christmas song in the middle that like had me laughing out loud. Oh yeah, there's a great Christmas song at the at the high school. And speaking of the high school, the, the principal was amazing. He's probably one of the best characters in the movie. He has a great song all to himself where he's dancing around this cafeteria. It was awesome. <laughs> that kind of made the movie for me. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah, it definitely but, has some really fun moments like that with, you know, each character kind of gets their own m- moment to kind of explain themselves or have a song or dance or something. And usually those are pretty good. Um, but I think the movie has more, like, bright spots throughout rather than it being good you know, as a whole, I think there's just kind of points where you're like, oh yeah, that was fun, and the music is good, like we were saying, but um, uh, I, I think it maybe could use a little more like connectivity between like maybe yeah, the a couple script more could songs have been to connect beefed the whole up thing. a bit. Like Anna is the main character, but she's only the main character because the movie tells you she is. She doesn't do anything to become the hero really until the, and it's a very it's a very selfish story for her. I think like they. They make her kind of the focus because she's, I guess, at the center of the story, but her story is just bland and kind of not there. It's very shallow. It feels like she's just moving from point to point, really, until the end when I guess she kind of learned something, but not really. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just like, Anna, you're the smartest and the best. You'll figure (laughs) it out. And she's like, okay. Yeah, it's a little bit of a Mary Sue thing, I guess, if I'm using that right. 
I think so. And in the apocalypse, I gave it three out of five stars. George, what did you give it? Yeah, I also gave it three out of five stars. I thought it was uh, fun for what it is, and it's the music is catchy, and it was. Uh, I think it's a, a good watch around Christmas. Graham, what would you give it if you had a letterboxed? Um, I'd give it a three. I think if you're younger, I think if you're like 14 years old, it's going to be a five. Yeah. I think you're going to, if I were still a kid and not like half dead, I would love it. <laughs> but I don't have a heart anymore, so it didn't. Uh, I'm going to definitely take my girlfriend to see it because she's a dance lady and likes musicals. And it feels like it's just horror-y enough to where she'll be like, that was cool. Yeah, it's actually. I think it is a good girlfriend movie, and or, and not to sound. I, I know no, girls like. Well, we I use that phrase a like lot. A, a it's okay, Dick. But like, or it's a good. It's a good movie for people who don't maybe so, like. What do we say, George? Significant other movie, like if you have a if you're dating someone who's into horror movies, like it's a good movie to take them to. Yeah, I mean, it. I guess that's the best. We had a phrase for this just, at one point. I just forgot. <laughs> it's just like a you know, it's a good like intro or like. It's tangentially connected to horror, so, like, you might have fun with it by seeing the zombies and stuff, but it's not necessarily... It won't drive people away who aren't into it, who are, like, adamantly against it. Right. So, next up here, the second movie we saw on Friday night was Terrified, which you can now stream on Shudder. And it's a movie from Argentina that was being billed as, like, one of the most terrifying movies ever made. And it is pretty fucking scary. It's it's basically, like, Insidious and The Conjuring where you're seeing overtly straight up ghosts in it. But instead of taking place in a haunted house, it's a haunted street. And it kind of has like a ghost. It feels like a ghost adventures, but more serious and scary. I I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I, I do think that it genuinely has some pretty terrifying scenes in it. Um, the ghosts that you do see are actually scary. And there are scenes... <laughs> Um, like when the movie was being announced, when we, um, when it was about to play, they said that like, there's one scene that's going to probably have all of you thinking about it before you go to bed. Um, (laughs) and, and it's true. Like, I think there are a few scenes that kind of stick with you long after the movie's over and are genuinely really scary. Um, can I ask what that, what that scene was for you, George? Is that allowed? I don't want to. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure this is one that's been on Shutter for like over a week. So people probably already seen it and this is a very minor spoiler. So I think um, you're okay. Yeah, so I think the scene that they're referencing and the one that sticks with me most in my mind is um, where we first kind of start to see uh, the ghost under the bed when the yeah. they talk about the difference in like the light and the dark and you kind of shift, walk around the bed and at some points you can see the ghost and at some points you can't and it's just this tall, scary-ass guy underneath the bed waiting for someone to lay down in it. Um, <laughs> and there's plenty of scenes that are like as scary as that, but that one really stuck with me when I was staying in uh, an unfamiliar house for the night. <laughs> well, we that was partially because I was being a jerk to you. <laughs> 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 there was a window. So, George, this Airbnb, guys, it was insane. We got really lucky. Uh, so, the weird thing about it was, I think we just moved this lady out of her house for a week because she left like her prescriptions and her kids' homework <laughs> and food all over the place. Uh, so George took a big bite out of her block of cheese and just left it there. And so we get back from the movie and George and I were in a room together that had two twin beds and parallel with our heads was a window, like a very small square window. And I was like, we were listening to 911 calls, which is terrifying. And then I was like, George, what if you woke up at like three in the morning and rolled over and, uh, 
the guy from under the bed was in the window, and that freaked George out pretty bad, and yeah, myself. That helped me sleep really well. Well, the combination of that and listening to 911 calls really was like a lullaby to me. Put me right to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> but I digress here. Basically, the movie, it has... It has multiple stories. It's kind of like an anthology that has all the same characters. And every one of the stories going on has a very terrifying moment. One of them involves a dead child coming back. And he just appears at the dinner table of uh, the parents who lost him. And it's just a kid in really good makeup. And they keep like, they're like, what the fuck? Everyone can see him. It's not like a ghost who disappears sometimes and comes back. But uh, that part was very creepy to me. Yeah, yeah it, that was that was super upsetting. <laughs> uh, and, and like, there are multiple scenes with that kid that are also pretty, like, unnerving. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get into it too much, but there's just like you feel uneasy every time he's on screen or like being moved around. Yeah, and the movie does have a very cold open that is lets you know right from the beginning what you're gonna see. Like this guy comes home from work and his wife. Uh, is like freaked out. She's like, I didn't make dinner because um, there's ghosts in the sink. And he's like, whatever, you're crazy. And then they go to bed and some crazy shit happens. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And it really just ratchets up from there. There are some boring moments. Like this movie does assume you know way more. It just wants you to just take everything it says at face value. It doesn't really explain a lot of what's going on. And they're just like, oh, it's like, it's like the wor- the worlds of the light uh, and the worlds of the dark are, um, you know, they're there in the same spot at this uh, kind of the same time. And like we got this nest thing, and we're gonna keep cutting back to looking at it, and <laughs> like it has a lot of lore built into it that they don't explain at all. And I guess that could be good or bad, um, depending on if you appreciate, like the less they tell you, the more you can make up in your own mind, or if you want everything kind of spelled out for you more. It's just kind of a personal preference deal, but um, it definitely does have a lot of lore that uh, is not, like, outright explained. Yeah, I, I personally liked that aspect of it, and it has, like, it kind of has its own vocabulary, you know, like, the nest thing, and there's mm-hmm. little things in there that, like, you know, they don't stop to explain, and they kind of just let you figure out. And they also, like, they imply this much larger world, which I thought was cool, that, like, in, in a court... In, in the world of this film, you know, maybe this is happening, the exact same thing is happening in another city. Right. Um, and, right. you know, whatever. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, the subtitles, however, were very poorly translated. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot, a lot of errors. Uh, I don't know if it's like that on Shudder, because that's not where we watched it, but I hope someone made at least one more pass through that before they posted the movie. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of the story issues come from the movie just being translated poorly. Yeah, and there was a which is surprising, because this was a pretty big movie from Argentina, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it had really good effects, really solid acting. Like, it wasn't like they shot it in their backyard or anything. No, it, had, it definitely had high, high production values, for sure. Like, you see, they used a whole street. Like, you see people running between the houses, the three houses. So you know that they had... All three of these houses available for filming. So, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I gave it a three and a half star out of five. Uh, I gave it a three, but I did really like it. I think that the scary moments are legitimately scary and going to stick with you, but I thought that the plot was kind of eh. Graham, what would you give it out of five? I think I'd probably give it a three and a half, too. 
I because three and a half equals seven to me, and I'm like, it's good. Oh, did yeah. If that's a seven, then yeah, this is a yeah for sure. I give it a good. I think it's definitely worth watching if you have Shutter though, because it's, yeah, it's about an hour and a half. It's very freaky. If you have like an iPad or something or a tablet, this is when you just like get in bed and watch alone in the dark. I feel like that would serve this movie really well. Kind of has it, that vibe that you shouldn't be watching it really. <laughs> and it being a uh, foreign film kind of adds to that because you have to pay attention to it constantly. You can't look away and get on your phone or whatever. You have to be reading the dialogue the entire time. So it definitely helps you pay attention throughout the movie. Yeah, that's a good point. So next up here, we have Cam, which is directed by Daniel Goldhaber and Issa Mazay, uh wrote it. And the cool thing is she's a former Cam girl. And is that, do we know that for sure? Yeah, I looked it up today because uh, oh, okay. there was some Jason Blum controversy today where Polygon took something he said completely out of context and a bunch of websites ran with it. Uh, but uh, I made a point about them being progressive as hell because they are. But so Issa Mazay is a former cam girl and she wrote this movie. And it's basically a movie about a cam girl who is trying to break into the top 50 of the cam girl site she's on. And she's doing increasingly crazy stuff, like slitting her own throat or like shooting herself, doing faking it, obviously. And then one day she wakes up and she's locked out of her account, but her account is live and there's a clone of her doing stuff that goes against her rules, like telling guys she loves them, other weird stuff. I don't remember all of her rules because I was pretty tired. But <laughs> this movie is not... It's a horror movie in the way that if I was a cam girl, I wouldn't want this to happen to me. But it's not necessarily like a horror movie. It definitely feels more like a dark thriller, which I, I know I hate using that, but it do doesn't feel like a horror movie. I would call it a thriller, especially with the way that they resolve what's actually happening. Right. Because it's, well, I shouldn't even say anything, but like that's when it becomes to me a thriller for sure, where it's just like, oh, okay, well, we know, I, I, I can't say anything more that could be. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, we don't want to spoil it, but the yeah. best part of the whole screening was when two old people got up loudly and walked well kind of like speed walked out of the theater like you see a lot of nudity in this which i guess is cool because they're all like you know they're cam girls so they want you to see them naked so it doesn't feel exploitative in really any way and uh i thought something else that was really cool was uh the guys who they have played the people giving these girls money online they feel very authentically like creepy oh they, yeah it's yeah, like unfortunately for those actors yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah, cast dude. these huge creeps and play it off so well. It's like, ugh, I don't want to talk. Like, I don't even want to have like see these guys ever again. There's like an older dude that the girl meets at um, a Mexican restaurant. He's like, let me get the queso dip. <laughs> and so you see his like big, thick, like sausage fingers, and you're like, ugh. Yeah, and he's like, you ladies love me. Yeah, yeah I keep <laughs> saying that. It's like, ugh, it's so gross. Like, it's repulsive. Yeah, and the main girl. She starts seeing one of her top donators around town, which was she wasn't didn't seem nearly as creeped out about it as I, I think she should have been. Like she just notices him and like looks away for the first couple times. And it's like, what? That's weird. Do something about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved how she, how does she describe that guy? She's like sweaty. tall, sweaty, nervous. Yeah, tall, sweaty, <laughs> and nervous. Feel bad for the actor. 
Yeah, because he actually did a great job of portraying this huge creep, and uh, it, he comes off as just not someone you'd want to associate with or know. Yeah, so the notable thing about this is that um, Blumhouse co-financed it with Gunpowder and Sky, and we've talked about their movies before, but this isn't going to be a theatrical one. It got bought by Netflix, so it should be available soon. The main girl, her name is Lola. That's her streamer name, but her real name is Alice. And it's kind of funny, her like character uh, uses the name Alice. She has all of these weird allegories to Alice in Wonderland for her different accounts and passwords and stuff, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, like oh, yeah. when she remakes her account, she's like the Mad Hatter and stuff. And then yeah. Mr. Teapot. Yeah, Mr. Teapot yeah. is her boy. Oh, smart. I didn't get that. So, <laughs> while I was watching it, I didn't really love it. But you know, like when I, when we got out of the theater and I like thought about it, I was like, you know what? Like I feel like this is a really authentic movie, and it deserves credit for that. The problem I had with it was that the plot kind of gets a little lost on what the message is and whether or not... Like, they want to make it a body-positive movie where it's cool to be a cam girl and, like, they want to show you the risks of being a cam girl, but I feel like they go too hard on showing you what bad things can happen, but then still come down on the side of, like, yeah, being body-positive in a cam girl is good. Yeah, I think it definitely loses the message throughout the plot. Like, um... That and, like, story-wise, there's really no solid resolution or explanation for the events that happen. So it feels like they have all these ideas and they have, like, the sets which look good and they have the actors who are all, you know, portraying the the story really well. But it just feels like a mess about halfway through because they introduce all these new things, don't explain them, don't resolve them, don't really have a message, like, come down as, like, kind of negative in the cam girl industry even though it feels like they don't want to do that, obviously. So it feels like it just has a lot of ideas, but doesn't really know how to execute them. Yeah, and the main, the top, there's a weird plot line that gets introduced with the top streamer. Her name is Baby Girl. Uh, and it's bizarre when you find out what happened to her. You're like, whoa, that's, that's a crazy revelation. Mm-hmm. But no one, the girl's like, oh shit, like, that's crazy. And you never hear about it again. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's a mystery movie. From the half point to the end, but it doesn't really feel like she's too concerned with solving it. She just wants to get her account back. Yeah, that's the big problem with it to me is that because it's not a horror film, it's a thriller slash like mystery. And if you're going to do that, you have to answer the questions that you raise. And they have to be like, I I think they should strive to be as as equal in, um, in weight as the question itself. You know, and so when she comes upon these answers, they're usually half baked, or she doesn't find them at all, and that does doesn't matter seemingly. Yeah, um, she's like, oh, okay, yeah, and cool. so, and then when you finally do find out what's going on, kind of, it's like, eh. it's never definitively, it, it's never really said definitively if that's what's going on either. Yeah, she's just like, well, maybe this is what's going on. Well, I guess it is because the little her like showdown at the end works you know the like fight thing yeah she gets to, well well i guess it's implied what it is but like it's it seems very loose and yeah. the technology of what that would entail doesn't exist <laughs> and the rest of this movie exists in the real world but i think they just went way too far with what's happening to the girl when they do explain it uh what's happening to lola you're like oh okay <laughs> Okay. I guess I can buy that maybe. 
But the gore is really good. Yeah, the yeah. gore is good. The gore is uh, really interesting. When they have the scenes where she like kills her, quote unquote, kills herself on camera, all look like very good practical effects, and the sets are designed well. Um, but I don't know. I think that the the plot is way way too messy. Yeah, and it bothers me because like I, I like think it's a good movie, in the sense that it's very authentic and respectful. I would say to the profession or that's being displayed, you know, like I feel like if, if someone who wasn't a cam girl set out to make this movie, it would be a lot worse, like just insanely bad. But, and it, it does seem to come from the experience of somebody who knows, cause even the cops are total dirtbags. Like it's, it <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's like the, one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. And that's what I think. I think it, it has a really strong point of view. Um, I think it has some real fucking balls on it. Like, there's a reason that those old people got up and left. Right. It's not a comfortable movie to watch. No. Um, I think it has some... But it's just a... It's a... I don't know. It's a hot mess to me. I think people are really going to like it once it's out on Netflix. I think it'll really take off. Yeah. I agree. Uh, but I give it three out of five stars. George, what'd you give it? I, I give it a remember. one. It was just too big... <laughs> It was, I remember your like whole rigmarole. You were like, "Kami Kami High" in that one star. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was just too. It's way too messy, in my opinion. The plot introduces all these things and doesn't follow through on any of them. And then, while it should paint this in a positive light or at least a neutral light, it feels like it betrays its own ending by making this out to be a bad career to be in like there's no point where it's like and this is why it's safe to be a camp girl or like this is why you should like no matter what like keep doing what you're doing like no matter how many people keep you down to keep at it like just put your nose to the grind and you can do it it just it betrays itself in that sense i feel mm, i agree with all that i think but for me the other stuff made up for that but i don't think you're wrong i think you have a better defense than i do I think I, I might have been a bit harsh with the one, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might go back and revise it. But like, I, yeah, I you think, were just trying to make us laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, it is it definitely uh, pretty rough. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I feel like Blumhouse could put this in theaters, though. I feel like they probably should, but no, I think production weird. value is great. I think it could it's be shown better in theaters. Production value than the first Purge. Like that's yeah. my new gold standard of like, Blumhouse <laughs> movies. Like, is there CGI blood? <laughs> yeah, I think this could totally be like a midnight movie. Like, it, if it hits the right people, I, I think this could be like a cult classic, like midnight movie thing for them. Definitely yeah, has a ninety. It has a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a what? Ninety percent. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I uh, which I disagree with. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, but I, I, I agree. I mean, I think ultimately, like, the second half of the script is the problem. I think the concept is great. The the insight is great. The dialogue is really, really good. There's some wonderful scenes. Um, and then it, once it starts trying to do any kind of heavily plotted stuff where it's like, okay, I'm a thriller. I've got to solve this mystery. I've got to figure this shit out. It just kind of falls apart under its own weight. Yeah, I feel um, like she could have used a consultant on the script in the actual movie parts that aren't about being a cam girl. Because you get to, like she's obviously a really strong writer on the cam girl sections, but like whenever the movie part of it comes around, it's like. Eh. Well, I guess it's her. First, I think it's her first script too. Yeah, it so definitely. I, is. I mean, I definitely want to see what she does next. But uh, I would, I would give it a 
I think I'd give it a 2.5. Wow, we're like all, we're all over uh, the gamut on this I think one. that's too mean. <laughs> that's personal. I think there are people who will really like it. I don't even think it's a bad movie. It just was not... Yeah, it's not for my, me, really. My th- it got me thinking about some stuff, though. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so next up on here, though, guys. This is, this is where it really gets good. Uh, we saw this movie that... I was, I was actually kind of iffy on seeing it because it had already premiered on sci-fi. And I was like, oh, this is a TV movie. Like, why are they showing it? It's called <laughs> You Might Be the Killer. And I like just in all honesty, I was completely blown away by it. It was definitely my favorite of the show, and I, it's it's amazing. It's it's in my top five movies of the year, easily. Yeah, I love this. This was also my favorite movie of the show. Um, and um, it, it, we had a cool little Q and A with the director uh, Brett Simmons before the movie, and he actually come and came and hang out with us a little bit after, which was awesome. But. Um, it's he's a very sweet man with kind <laughs> eyes. Yeah, he's just such a nice guy. No, he is. Uh, he is. Yeah, super, super nice dude. Yeah. And it was cool that we really liked this movie, and then got to talk to him after, and then just had. It would have really sucked if we talked to this dude after, and he didn't know shit about horror. Because the way this movie <laughs> came about is really weird. It's like Chuck Wendig and Sam Sykes, I think the guy's name is. They had a weird role playing Twitter combo where one of them was at a summer camp. Sam was at a summer camp working there, and he was talking to Chuck, like, asking what's going on, and it turned out that he was the killer all along, but you learn this very early on in the movie. So the main character is named Sam, and he's played by someone from Cabin in the Woods. What's his name? Franz? Fran uh, Kranz. Fran Kranz. Yeah, Fran Kranz. And then Chuck is, is played by a female. Yeah, Alison Hannigan. Who's awesome. She's yeah. great in it. And the... Premise sounds kind of goofy because it came from a Twitter conversation, but it's a very cool premise. And the reason I think this movie works so well is because unlike Ruin Me, which we talked about in our very first episode, it doesn't use the fact that it's kind of like a Scream-style slasher parody to skimp on making a good movie. Like the actual Friday the 13th summer camp style uh, slasher movie at the heart of this story is really strong. It's shot well, it's edited well, it's written well, it's acted well. It's just like, it, it all comes together for me in a really cool way. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that it kind of works the, as well as it does is the, like, out-of-order storytelling, the, like, asymmetrical way that the plot unfolds, where we kind of, there's 12 camp counselors who, like, surprise, surprise, all get killed. But, like, we start at the sixth one and then work our way both forwards and backwards throughout the story to kind of unveil exactly what happened and what was a series of events. And we don't get it in that typical point A to point B. It's like point A to D to F to G. And I think that but, works uh, for But the it. sixth one is, like, the middle anchor point. That it, all, it always keeps coming back to the sixth kill. With Steve which the I Kayak think is King. <laughs> Steve the Kayak King is the best character of 2018. <laughs> Uh, the jokes in this movie are great. Uh, the humor is is really awesome. I mean, just the even the little quirky characters and the like offhanded references to horror movies and all that feel very at home if you're into the genre. And just they all really hit for me. I thought the movie was actually pretty laugh out loud hilarious. And the gore is awesome. There's like a head split. There's a part where a guy gets his arms cut off. It all looks great. It's very bloody. Uh, the actual killer that he came up with is a dude who has a wooden mask, and it's honestly a really cool-looking mask, and uh, he's a very, he's very imposing character. It was cool because uh, he was talking a lot about um, before and after the show. He was talking a lot about like iconography and stuff. Yeah, 
Um, and so, like, the importance of the way that a mask looks and, and the way that this weapon looks and how they integrate into the world and, like, different aspects of, like, like he changed... Um, he was talking about how I guess initially the movie was set in, in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, and he had a different weapon. I can't remember what it was. And then it was they, a machete, but it had a bear jaw. That's on, what it was. Yeah, it had like bear teeth on it. Yeah. And then they went to shoot in New Orleans, and they changed it to be like a gator jaw, right? Um, attached to this like machete thing. It's really cool. But it was it was really really neat to hear that from him, and um, it's so it's kind of like a master class in like in slasherdom. You know, he he clearly loves all these films and and it was cool to kind of get that academic insight about like yeah you know what makes jason jason and he's replicated that here it's very cool and he was talking about how he shot it out of order because he really likes back to the future 2 mm-hmm. and i cannot believe that the movie came together as well as it did because they the whole movie started and wrapped in four weeks like that's yeah. how long it took <laughs> to shoot right shoot and edit this movie and like that is insane this is absolutely insane. He was telling us he saw it for the first time at Fantastic Fest at the screening. Like, that was the first time he saw the final cut of the movie. And he had to do a Q&A after, which is wild. Like, it's just, it's, I have no idea how this movie came out as good as it did with that quick of a turnaround. No, and it definitely doesn't feel, like, unpolished at any point. It feels like they had a whole year to make it. Like, it does not feel like this thing was mm-hmm. like, done in a month. It's, it's a crazy feat in and of itself that it came out the way in the state that it's in and it is really a total blast i think anybody who likes any of the friday 13th or the horror genre in general is gonna have a great time with it it's funny um you get that cool dichotomy of like the main characters in summer camp and he talks to the like i guess woman in the chair who runs a comic book store and has all the lore on everything and has like more information on what's going on there's a bunch of uh references scattered around the comic book store that are cool for big horror fans like uh there's the monkey, monkey shines. shines and like, oh yeah yeah there's just <laughs> there's just some cool nods that um there's a necronomicon yeah yeah i mean there's just a lot of fun fun stuff in this movie and i had a total blast with it yeah and allison hannigan was a great kid like she did a really good job selling her role i liked her a lot and her relationship with uh sam is great yeah oh and fran kranz is fucking awesome yeah he's so much fun to watch he's so good they, yeah. they're, they're both they're both excellent 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 I mean, their relationship is kind of the heart of the story because that's what everything kind of revolves around of plot-wise plot other than the kill fodder of taking out all the camp counselors. It's more keep coming back to that relationship and how they interact with each other. So if that didn't work, I don't think the movie would have. But I think that does work very well. And um, both uh, France Kranz and Alison Hannigan were great and really just sold the roles so well. Another cool thing about this, which I don't know how it happened, is Brett actually got an original song recorded for the credits. Which, like, <laughs> how did you do that in four weeks? And it's actually kind of good. Uh, but the cool thing about this is if you have a cable login, you can watch it on the sci-fi app for free, uncut, because I guess they don't cut out gore. They just cut out nudity, and there's really no nudity in this movie. So you can watch it uncut for free on the sci-fi app, but it's screening uh, all over the place eventually, and it might end up some other places. So you should... If you don't have a cable login, it's not like you're never going to be able to see it. So I do think it's weird that it landed on sci-fi. It seems... I mean, not that they haven't made good horror content lately with um, the Channel Zero stuff, but it doesn't really feel like a made-for-TV movie at all. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. It feels like 
Well, it premiered at Fantastic Fest, and I feel like they bought it after that. Like, I don't think they funded this movie. It definitely doesn't feel like a TV movie. Yeah. No, not even close. So, uh, I gave it, I think I gave it five out of five. Stars. I gave it uh, four and a half, but I really loved it, and I recommend anybody see it as soon as it's available to them. So this was your guys' favorite? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about yours next. This was not my favorite, <laughs> but if I hadn't seen the next movie, this would be my favorite, but I'm going to be contrarian and give it a four just because you guys gave it a really high score. That's reasonable. So I'm still going to give it a I'm going to give it a four, even though really it is a five. Um, it's fucking great, but I have to leave room for... Uh, for, my, for my favorite. So, next up on here is a movie we're only talking about because Graham is on the show. <laughs> it's called Possum. It's written and directed by Matthew Holness. And uh, Grant, you should just intro this one because I feel like you appreciate it. So I wanted to see this movie because it's um, one, it, it's, it, has a, it has puppets in it. And I like creepy <laughs> puppet shit a lot. I'm a big sucker for puppet stuff. And it's written and directed by the guy who created and starred in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which um, if you have seen that, I'm sure you like it. Um, but it was like a short-lived BBC show, so it's it. you might not have seen it. But if you haven't, you should go find it. Um, so that shows a comedy. And I thought that this was going to be kind of a dark comedy um, or a horror co- I wasn't you know really sure. Although the trailer is pretty pretty indicative yeah it's 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 honest um this is a super super bleak movie about should i just give a brief little yeah okay so um so this guy he's like a disgraced puppeteer because that's a thing Uh, that, that, (laughs) that, that, that old trope um so he comes back home um, to his rundown house in this really bleak section of England. I, I can't, I don't know if they say where it is. I don't remember. Um, and he's living with his very creepy, obnoxious, chain-smoking um, uncle, who is also a puppeteer. And they're pretty much the only two characters in this movie. Um, and you soon find out that the puppeteer has a puppet um, that won't leave him alone. Uh, no matter how hard he tries to get rid of it. And you learn a lot about what that puppet might come to represent, metaphorically. Um, and uh, there's some pretty dark stuff in this movie. Um, I would, And I would call it... I mean, it's definitely a horror film, but I yeah. would say it's, it's borderline experimental at points. Um, there's a lot of, like, uh, uh, sudden kind of cryptic imagery and... Um, and this is his first film that he's directed. Uh, I was pretty blown away by that. Uh, his name is Matthew Holzapple, is the, is the writer-director. Um, and he just has like a master... I think it's a beautifully crafted movie. I think it's super scary. Um, and uh, and I think it, it's, it's the most emotionally rich film that we saw. So we saw this on the last day. Uh, and we were tired. We were hungover. <laughs> we just watched... George and I watched a bunch of shorts. We watched other movies no i don't think we watched anything before this and it just wasn't the right time to watch a movie like this for really anyone in the theater except for graham because the the collective nap that everyone took was insane and it's just like you have to know what you're getting into with it and i think if i watched it in any other setting like at home you know i would have liked it more once it reveals what it is 
and you, I figured out what was going on and went, oh, that's what it's about. That's when I started to really like it more. And I will say that the puppet is uh, very cool. It's a very, like, very creepy puppet. Where, you know, like the Babadook was kind of a cute puppet. This guy, this is a very creepy puppet. I don't want to spoil what it is. Yeah, I don't think this puppet will, will become the face of any kind of like forward-thinking social movement right. like the Babadook. You, you kind of <laughs> understand why it ruined his career when you see it. You're like, oh, oh, that's that's just haunting. Right. Well, and it does such an excellent job of like, uh, sorry, George, I, did I cut you off? No, you're good. Keep going. It just, it tied, because the puppet is, is um, it's his creation that stems from this, like, short story slash poem yeah. that he created as a child because of this trauma that is, like, gradually, very gradually unfurled. I won't lie. There's a lot of walking. There's a lot of quiet. There's a lot of, lot of walking. <laughs> this dude a just lot wakes of, like, up and walks around. Half the movie is this guy just looking very, very upset. And He's got a sweaty. <laughs> epic crown. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> But I, I just, I thought that, like, um, that, well, you know, like, to, to, to Brett's point, and you might be the killer, it's, like, this notion of, like, iconography and metaphor um, and, and like, what, what the physical manifestations of our nightmares mean and, 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 and why. Um, and this movie is, like, exactly that. It's, it's about this guy and this puppet. And what that pu- and and why that puppet is what it is, um, and his terrifying uncle. So I, the uncle anyway, is my favorite. Part. I'm talking too much. But. I like the uncle. <laughs> you, you like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. like you like that guy. Yeah, He's, he acted really well. He's no, he is. Oh, funny. and the actors are fucking great. Um, and I guess I didn't really know them, but reading about the movie later, I guess they are very well known. Yeah, everyone. I, I recognize them as character actors, but I didn't know their names. Uh, I gave this movie three stars. I gave everything except we. You might be the killer three stars. What did you give it, George? Uh, I gave it uh, two stars. I thought that there are some tough, really tough greater. There are some really um, terrifying and disturbing visuals in it that did kind of stick with me, and I thought were creepy. Um, I think that the movie that I can most close closely compare this to is something like uh, Eraserhead, like early Lynchian kind of mm-hmm. filmmaking, which I- I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, just personally, like, but I, I understand, I don't want to dock the movie because I don't get it artistically, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know there's a lot in there that if you're looking for it and you enjoy that kind of very surreal, nightmarish headspace stuff, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll be into it, but just personally, that's not um, my favorite kind of movie. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a movie where after I thought about it, I was like, that was pretty good, but while I was watching it, I was like, I wish something could happen. <laughs> you could feel the whole the whole theater like shift like 30 minutes in people are like, going to the bathroom and like farting and i was yeah people kept getting up and i was like man i'm surprised at how many of you are coming back people, they finished this movie and uh you know if you want to read a really good review of it meredith borders did a great one over at bloody disgusting like i think she got the movie and she knew how to write about it so if you want a more educated opinion uh than George and I are able to give, <laughs> and you're not satisfied with what Graham said, go check out that review on a Bloody Disgusting. But, uh, Graham, what did you give this one? Uh, that's a hard five for me, dog. A hard five? Yeah, I give. I would give this a five. Um, partially just because I, 
I, I know it has its faults, but everybody else you're, hated it so much. I really want to. Um, I but I did really genuinely love it. It was my favorite, and um, and I think you know, like for Cam, like I think they're similar in that they're very specific, um, and and they're both courageous movies. And um, I think like Cam didn't hit for me, but it'll definitely hit for somebody else. And I think this is the same way. This is like, a much better gonna job. Really it. Like it or really not respond to it this did a better job at having a point and telling a story than cam did i think like it just was slow yeah it was more clear to me i think it was definitely more clear to me cam was a little i got what this movie was going for uh but we have one more movie to talk about guys it's called the witch in the window it's the last movie we saw it's also a shutter exclusive i don't think it's out yet but it's going to be soon and what makes this movie special is that it's a very heartwarming horror movie. <laughs> it's very wholesome. Yeah. Uh, George, you want to fill us in on what this is about? Yeah, so uh, Witch of the Window is kind of a father and son tale where um, there's this couple who, I'm not sure if they're divorced or they're just separated, but um, it seems like the dad is always out fixing up houses or, you know, out on a job and the mom lives in the city with the son most of the time but the son beginning of the movie is in some kind of punishment and is forced to go help his dad flip this house that he just recently bought so they go to check out this house and renovate it as a father and son and bond over it and uh there's a creepy old witch that lives there this uh woman that kind of throughout the town was reviled as this creepy old woman and she died in the house and her spirit never left it yeah, and the I like the house where it takes place out in Vermont. And I was very impressed with the fact that the dad was trying to flip the house and they actually like improved the way it looked throughout the movie. Like that couldn't have been cheap. Like the house started out pretty <laughs> dingy and like crappy, and as the movie went on, it definitely did improve in quality. And it's like, wow, did you guys really go through the work of like did you actually this like, house? fix up a house? Uh, to- the, the weird the cool thing about it is that the actual witch, her she grows stronger based on the quality the house is in so as the dad is fixing this house she gets stronger and stronger and something i thought was really cool is that she just straight up talks to these people as if she's like a a physical being that lives in this house i mean she basically is a physical being the moment where they kind of like see her in the chair she died in and they're like what the fuck do we do the dad and the kid they go up and talk to her. It's it's a pretty solid scene. It's actually pretty scary, I would say. Uh, yeah, I agree that the scene there are some really scary scenes in this movie, including uh, the witch, where she's kind of feels like a very physical force in the world, where she can run out in the middle of the day and hang out, not at night, and kind of terrorize them. Um, in the early parts of the movie, they kind of sprinkle out these scares where she's just kind of standing in the background while they're doing stuff, and they don't acknowledge her at all. And they just give you, like, this kind of weird chill down your spine when you're watching it. Because you're like, ooh, that's creepy. And I think that those scenes work and they build up the horror well through those. Um, I'd say my only real issues with it would be that um, the, like, very end is pretty weird. Like, um, it's, like, weirdly, (laughs) like, paced and heartwarming where everybody kind of gets what they want. And it doesn't, it feels sort of out of place in that sense. Right. Um. But it's not. It's 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 weirdly heartwarming. It was like weirdly nice at the end. <laughs> it ties yeah. up in like a nice little bow. Right, and Good I think night, all of yeah. us had that same feeling when we walked out of it, where we were like, "Oh, that was 
kind of nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was a good movie to like end the show on. It was like, oh, a nice wholesome tale. Let's go drink beer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like the first half of it was kind of a scary story you tell like in your neighborhood. You know, every neighborhood has like a haunted house where oh, old man Richardson died there, and if you look at his house after midnight, he'll sit in the window and look at you. But then they kind of tie it back up a different way so that it's not a, like, all bad story. There's some good in it, and there's some redeeming feelings. And, I mean, it's it ends on definitely a really nice, heartwarming note, which is strange, but I, I, I kind of appreciate what it's going for there. It's kind of trying to break the mold, yeah. And, you know, you guys know how much I hate a kid actor. The kid did okay. He did pretty good. I think the script is a little too wordy, and the kid talks to his dad way more than any child ever talks to any adult. <laughs> like, they're having full-on conversations constantly. Like, the entire first half of the movie, it's like they're always talking. It's like, I like my dad a lot, and I don't talk to him that much. You know, it was, that was kind of weird. It's a little wordy. But the effects are good. The story's heartwarming, and it's, like, not very predictable either. So I think this one's worth watching if you have Shudder, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I liked it. Overall, I gave it a three stars. What'd you give it, Graham? Um, I think I'd probably give it a, a three and a half. Yeah, um, I, I gave it a four. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the characters are great. I mean, I actually didn't mind how... how wor- it is a little verbose, but like I, I really didn't mind that. Um... I thought like the main actor, what's his name? I actually have it pulled up just because I want to mention my name. Alex Draper uh, is the dad, and he's fucking he's great. Um, the kid is is really pretty darn good. Um, the wife kind of gets a short end of the stick. She yeah. is pretty unlikable. Yeah. She's like the mean mom. That was the one thing that like kind of made it feel a little like it's like a Mrs. Doubtfire thing. Yeah, you, know, where the mom's like, you better clean up and not look at porn. And the dad's like, do whatever you want. And, uh, <laughs> That's and pretty much so, the whole first half of the movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, your mom's a real bitch, huh? <laughs> yeah, basically. The kid's like, yeah, fuck her. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I thought that that felt a little weird to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, the, the performances are really strong. And um, and there were some really good scares in there. But, um, yeah, I'd give it a three. Cool. Uh, well, that's every movie we saw at Telluride Horror Fest, which was an awesome experience. I think it was definitely worth the trek. Yeah, the whole six-hour drive was uh, a lot to go through, but it was a lot of fun, and I would definitely go back again. Yeah, it was really nice of them to give George and I badges to the event. Uh, Graham, you have a unique perspective of paying for the badge. (laughs) Do you think it was worth it? I do, yeah. You know, I mean, if you actually quantify it, like, um, I mean, I made it to six movies. I would have made it to seven if I didn't have diarrhea. And... And, you know, even, like, I could have gone to the movie theater and spent the same amount of money. Right. And I got to see stuff that um, I never would have found otherwise, probably. You know, things that... Or maybe things that I would have been like, oh, that looks cool. Check it out. And then never gotten around to. And they were all good. Uh, None of these were bad movies. Um, And, like you said, very carefully curated. Um, and, you know, the Telluride was beautiful. And the people who, who organized the festival, too, were very cool. I mean, in the brief moments we got to meet them, everybody was very accessible and very kind. Mm-hmm. Like, it was super welcoming. Uh, yeah, it felt like ever, a real fan. Yeah, um, it felt like a fan event. And if you want to talk to people who make movies, this is a great one to go to because it's definitely a smaller scale event where 
like if you go to the food events like there was a pig roast and stuff if you go to that stuff you'll see the people making the movies and you'll get to just talk to them which is pretty cool yeah yeah that was a blast uh, so that's going to wrap it up for episode 49 of Fear Frequency. George, we're almost at 50. One more week. One more. We're so close. One whole week. <laughs> and then we'll be at 50. And then we'll be at 51 for Halloween. We thought we had it timed perfectly, but we didn't. <laughs> so, uh, Graham, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, uh, nobody asks me that. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have to look it up to make sure I have... I have like on Twitter? Yeah. Oh. Like what's, re- what's relevant? Like what's your most relevant place to find you? Oh, I guess that would be Instagram. I don't use Twitter. Um, <laughs> what's your Instagram? Uh, I think it's... Wait. Oh, weird. Somebody has an Instagram under my name, but it's not me. Oh, wait. No, that's what's It's Instagram. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's Instagram. That's I-N-S-T-A-G-R-I-Z-Z-U-M. Cool. George, yeah. where can we find you? Uh, I'm on everything at George Fazard. And I'm at Jimmy Champagne. Uh, I don't have anything else to say other than thanks, Graham, for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This was super cool. You can come on whenever. I had a yeah. real fun time, you guys. I had a real... A, it was a... What, what a joy ride. <laughs> I can't wait to edit this. <laughs> George, bring us home. All right. Uh, as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening. <laughs> <laughs>